Hi, I'm Graham McLennan, and today's episode comes from that favorite city of mine to visit, Las Vegas, Nevada. Unlike previous Vegas chef interviews, though, today's episode is all about food culture off the famous Vegas Strip. Let's get started. Talking to chefs, and sometimes lawyers, but always to people who love food. It's Chef Demoni. Here's your host, Graham McLennan. My most recent trip to Las Vegas was with three very good friends, and we were there for a bachelor party. I suppose by bachelor party standards, and in particular Las Vegas bachelor party standards, it was a pretty tame weekend, although we did stay out past midnight one night. And for that, I paid the next morning. The next morning came quite quickly, but I had to be up to meet a new friend and to do the interview that you're about to hear. My new friend, somebody I mentioned uh, last week on the podcast, Christy Totten of the Spicy Eyes podcast. Christy works with her podcasting partner, Sonia Swanson, to put together Spicy Eyes. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, I highly recommend it. They do a great job of exploring food and culture in Las Vegas. And one of the things that I'm really liking about the show is that they're featuring properties and chefs that are away from the typical tourist areas. So away from the Las Vegas Strip and away from the downtown and Fremont Street area. In fact, Christy and Sonia were recently at an event called Unstripped, and that focuses exactly on Vegas chefs and the culinary scene away from the Las Vegas Strip. Today's guest makes mention of it as well. She talks about giving tickets to Unstripped to one of her guests. And that guest is Chef Jamie Tran of Black Sheep Las Vegas. Black Sheep is, I guess the simplest way to describe it would be to say a Vietnamese restaurant, but that doesn't do it justice because, as you'll hear, when we asked Chef Tran about her cooking to describe her cooking, she kept saying it's me on a plate. And me on a plate brings a whole lot to the table because Chef Jamie has such an interesting background. She has Vietnamese influences through her mother's side of the family. She's got some Mandarin influences through her father, who was a professional chef as well, and operated a Mandarin restaurant in Lodi, California. Actually, that in and of itself is a really interesting story. You're going to hear about how Chef Jamie's family came to be in Lodi and came to open that restaurant. Uh, And it was through her father, actually, that Jamie learned about restaurant cooking, about the formality and the structure of a uh, formal professional culinary scene, learned about the intensity of that, the discipline of that. Uh, Her father kept saying, you can't be lazy. And I think you will conclude after you hear from Chef Jamie in this interview that she is definitely not lazy. She puts a bunch of energy and passion and undoubtedly hours into her cooking. So she learned the, I guess you could say the formal side or the structured side, the restaurant side of cooking from her father, but it was really from her mother that her passion from cooking came. And Chef Tran talks about blackouts in California in the 1980s and how she would cook with her mother over open fire and how the smoke-infused dishes that they made absolutely by necessity, smoke just got into the food, came to be a taste that she liked. And she features that now in some of the dishes on the menu at Black Sheep. So all of these influences come together in Chef Jamie's cooking. She's also got formal training as well. She went to the Cordon Bleu in Las Vegas and then worked in some of the fancy strip properties where she learned uh, a more, again, a more formal French background to her cooking. Although it's interesting, she talks about Vietnamese cooking and how, because of the French colonization, many of the techniques inherent in Vietnamese cooking are also inherent in French cooking. They just go by different names. So you'll hear all about that in, uh, in the interview coming up in just a couple of minutes. We also talk about a couple of more serious topics. We talk about violence in the kitchen. That is reality, hopefully on the way out. 
uh, we get Chef's thoughts on that topic. And uh, she did say that dodgeball turns out to be very good training for those who want to be professional cooks. And we also talk about this whole idea about whether there should be any rules around who can cook what or who should be entitled to cook what. In other words, does it fall only to certain people to cook food from any particular culture? So Chef has got some really interesting thoughts on that topic. I think they're worth hearing. Toward the end of the interview, I also asked Chef Jamie for a quick either recipe or approach or a technique, something that home cooks could use to improve their cooking game. And she came up with a really interesting four-ingredient approach that can be used to make almost any dish sound really good. And there's a one-ingredient twist to that if the main ingredient happens to be fish. But you'll hear her repeat these four ingredients. One, two, three, four. Just add these ingredients. Add one, two, three, four. And your dish is going to turn out great every time. So I'm definitely going to give it a try. I would encourage you to do the same because I can say that Chef Jamie Tran definitely appears to know what she's doing in the kitchen. Judge for yourself. Join me now with Christy Totten of the Spicy Eyes podcast as the two of us have a great talk with Chef Jamie Tran of Black Sheep Las Vegas. We are in, are we in, I think we are, in southwest Las Vegas, is that right, Chris? Correct. Here, and we're at the Black Sheep Las Vegas restaurant. I'm sitting here with my podcasting friend, Christy Totten, from the Spicy Eyes podcast. Christy, thanks for meeting up, and, and thanks for setting up this meeting. Yeah, absolutely. Super happy to be here, and I'm glad we're finally meeting. Yeah, yeah. so fun. And also with us, chef and owner, one of the partners behind the restaurant, Jamie Tran. Chef, thank you for not only answering our questions, but for welcoming us welcoming us into your space on a beautiful Saturday morning. No, thank you, guys. <laughs> also offering us bourbon. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's my specialty. <laughs> In my experience, we now have a leading contender for best start to an interview process. Yes. Yes. Would you like to taste some bourbon? <laughs> Would ya? <laughs> well, Chef, maybe just to get us started, I'm going to try to resist the urge to jump right into the food here at Black Sheep and maybe ask you to describe your background training, some stops along the way before you came to Black Sheep. Uh, before you came to Black Sheep, I understand you studied in California, I think, and also in Las Vegas, and I know you've cooked at a few, I think I know you've cooked at a few spots on the Strip, so maybe just... Uh, the listeners about those experiences um yeah no i started off like cooking with my dad when i was younger just to make to make some extra money so he was all like if you want to play sports earn your own money so i was like i want to play volleyball i'm gonna do it so (laughs) i went and started washing dishes for my dad he made me prep cook as well because he's like if you're standing around then you have you know you can start chopping so i started chopping then i started watching him and i was like you know what like i saw the challenge he had on the line with his cook so i was like let me jump on the saute and he was like no 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 he kept on saying no one day he was like okay jump on the fryer so i jumped on the fryer and then i was like doing the fry thing and i was like can i go on the walk and he was like no and then I was like, can I? I was a, a little past. Can I? Can I? Can I? The, the whole time. Can I? Can I? He was like, no, go wash the dishes. Go wash the dishes. Come back. Can I? I, I'm done with the dishes. I'll do it really fast. I'll go and do the dishes, chop whatever I need to do, pounds of onions, clean it out. And then my hands are all yellow and stinky and I'm like nuts. But then I'll go on the line and I was like, can I cook? Can I cook? Can I cook? And he was like, no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. Because his cook, like my dad's an old school chef, so he'll scream at his cooks and some of them can't take it. So they walk off and I was like, I get that every day. So. <laughs> doesn't bother me so I go on the line and that's the first time I ever stepped into the kitchen but the cooking wise I fell in love with cooking through my mom so that's where 
it's weird my dad's a chef but I didn't fall in love with cooking through my dad he taught me the discipline he taught me uh, not being lazy because he told me if you ever been called late if anybody ever calls you lazy then you're not you know you're a bad person I was like I'm not bad <laughs> so but I fell in love with cooking with my mom I think uh, I tell the story a lot but it's my first memory of food so it's my I, I was really young I was I had to be like three years old I think three or four I was really really young the first time I ever cooked was four years old so I had to be three we had the rolling blackouts in California back in the 80s. So my mom, like, grabbed cookie tins, cut them on. The Asian cookie tins with a variety of 25, 26 flavors, I don't know. But then she cut the cookie tins out, then made us collect twigs. And she had a pot of rice going. She had, like, pork belly. That's why pork belly was on my menu. Like, I was, like, because of my mom. Like, pork belly, some vegetables, and then I was, like... I just fell in love with it. the smell. I remember the day it was gray out. <laughs> my brothers were getting in trouble with the neighbors. And then my mom was like, you know, just cooking. I was just the only kid. We, I have like eight siblings. So I was the only kid that stood next to her, helping her and stuff like that. So that's when I fell in love with food. I realized my mom loved me through the food. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. And then so I begged her, please, I'm not past. So I was like, please, please, can I cook? Can I cook? Can I cook? Can I cook? That little child that's always around. And she was like, fine. She grabbed a blue milk crate when I was four put against the stove and told me to cook uh, fried rice in the morning. So I started like stirring and helping her and then I was like, you know, I love this. So that's, that's incredible. That's my little memory of my parents and then kitchen wise and they start jumping in. I didn't want to be a chef. I'm not going to lie. It's like every I, everybody always said they want to be a chef, not me. I was like, no, I don't want to be like my dad. Finally, everybody, my friends found me like, dude, just face it. Cause I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> I'm a cure cancer. <laughs> I'm be a physical therapist. I went into so many majors. I'm not going to lie. I went into physical therapy, kinesiology. I did. I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. I wanted to be an optometrist. I wanted to be, I was trying to be so everything. Like, how did you finally accept that? Because everybody kept on telling me like, face it. My brother calls me slimy. Face it slimy. You're like dad. Wait, wait, why does he call you slimy? Because I'm Jamie, but he calls me slimy. I don't know why. That makes sense to me. I'm like, <laughs> not that I agree, yeah. but yeah, as a sibling, I would call my siblings similar things. He, he did, and my sister calls me like, uh, at the time, like, um, she's always like, face your destiny, Clark. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> the same Smallville. <laughs> but then she was all like, just do it. And everybody, my friends told me, you, you know what, you, you, you stop what you're doing. You're going to be good at whatever you want. Yeah. But, you know, cooking is your thing. And then one day I was like, you know what, it is. And I said, hey, you, Dad. My dad's laughing. But I was like, I'm going to be, I guess, going to be like him. So decided to finish my um, degree in business management in San Francisco. Switched it again and went to business management. And then uh, finished that in San Francisco State. And then I went out to Vegas, went to La Cordon Blue. I'm not going to lie, I was a bad student. I ditched a lot because I was working. And I was like, I know this right, I got this. <laughs> I was teaching people, I'll show you. But I ditched a lot because I transferred a lot of my curriculum over. And I was majoring in hospitality management at the time. So I took a bunch of classes. So school taught me definitions. I loved it. <laughs> and, and gave you a piece of paper at the end of it? I did. I was like ditching a lot. I'm not going to be, I'm a bad, I'm a bad student. <laughs> But C still gets you a paper. <laughs> yes, still, that's right. Now I got A's. I'm Asian. <laughs> 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 but yeah, no, that's the whole thing. And I went to Vegas, submerged myself. And then once I decided to submerge myself into the cooking world, I just put my head down and turned pale and stayed in the dungeon. And now I own a restaurant. <laughs> and now you own a restaurant. <laughs> 
couple of questions that come to my mind. Where where was your dad's restaurant? Where were you cooking at? In Lodi. Okay. Lodi. So my dad, actually, this is a, like, a long story, but my dad met um, his best friend in Korea because he was escaping the Vietnam War because they were losing, and then he would have been executed. So he had to take my mom, my two old, older brother, my mom was pregnant. They went through Thailand to a French boarding, like exporting ship or whatever, and then went to South Korea. From South Korea, he met his best friend, and then they lived in Korea, and my sister was born in Korea. And then, for some reason, they, my dad lived in Monterey. My dad went to Houston, lived in Houston, got sponsored by a Christian family. From Houston, they moved to Monterey. His best friend called him, hey, I opened a restaurant in um, Lodi. Can you come help me? And my dad was like, anything for you. So he moved, picked us up, moved to Stockton. Then from there, he became the head chef of his friend's restaurant. What so were they cooking? They were cooking Mandarin food, Mandarin Chinese food. So I grew up eating a lot of Mandarin, like him, like he's, my dad's quarter Chinese, so he's always like, yeah, talking to us in Chinese. I'm like, I don't understand you. <laughs> So, but no, he picked up, met his friend, and then they just, they were side by side since then, forever. That's where that story came. It was just random. Like, I was like, ah, all right. <laughs> Why did he not want you to cook initially? Did he just... He didn't want me to cook initially because he wanted the boys to cook. Six siblings, six brothers, and he thought, like, it's too harsh for being his daughter or girl cooking in the kitchen. He's like, it's too harsh. He didn't mind me cooking with my mom, but in the kitchen, he thinks it's too harsh, and, like, he doesn't want his life, my life, that way. And then, so he's, like, uh, trying to tell me not to do it. But for some reason, he kept them out of all of his kids. He noticed that at home, I was the only one that picked up everything quickly. And he also, like... I think he looked at me one day, he, he did look at me in my face and tell me, poor child, you're going to be like your daddy. I was like, ugly? I don't want to be ugly. <laughs> don't be ugly. <laughs> Please. Please, God, Buddha, whoever is out there, <laughs> don't make me ugly. <laughs> so, so what does he have to say about it now? He's so proud. He told me, um, before he told me not to, and then it was like on and off, like not to do it, not to, and I always tell him, I'm not going to be like you. But now he said, I think... When I got into it and I told him I decided I was going to be a chef, he told me, you're going to be better than your daddy. Mm. And then I uh, looked at him, and I was like, of course. <laughs> 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 me and my dad have a weird Poor relationship. Dad. Very, very, I'm very, like, mean to him. I always say, I love my mommy more than I love my dad. <laughs> I'm like that child. He was like, you're horrible. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, you wouldn't let me cook. <laughs> it yeah. happens. He did it. I'm like, he'll let the boys pick up anything. But me, he was like, no, resistant, resistant. And at the end of the day, he was like, no, you're, you were the one. I was, he was looking for somebody to take after him out of the six boys. They couldn't handle the kitchen. They were like, oh, my God, it's too hard. They complained too much. And I was like, all right. And my dad, it was hard because my dad was a sweatshop worker. I'm going to put this on the air. <laughs> he made me work 10 hours for $20. <laughs> I was like, wow. what's going on? <laughs> Child labor board. <laughs> Come get me. <laughs> Perhaps every cooking experience since has been easier as a result, I'm guessing. Like, yes. if you go through that kind of fire in the beginning. I went through a lot of fire. I see my dad, like, just scream and, like, fight, like, cooks. Like, like they would, like, get mad at my dad and swing. And my dad was like, nope, that's not going to happen in my kitchen. And then, like, boom. And I'm like, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> so I thought that was the standard, like, craziness. So every kitchen I walked into, I was all like... As long as you're screaming, I'm fine with it. As long as you're not throwing stuff. I, when I worked with another chef, he, like, threw stuff. So you just go like this. All right, cool. 
<laughs> it's cool. And then I worked for a French chef, and then I was like, he's screaming, and I'm like, all right, that's cool. I got you. Yeah. You guys don't scare me. My but dad's way worse. You can't scare he, me with he, this. He was. <laughs> I have a question for you. So, yeah. you know, he's cooked before. I definitely never have. But I've definitely heard stories of, like, violence in the kitchen, fighting in the kitchen, the yelling that you were telling me yeah. about. Is that in every kitchen? Is that... Mm, I think in old school kitchens, there is. Um, Fighting-wise, no. I think if it's more like my dad, who's, like, obviously not born in America, like, I think that's, like, more, I don't know that his culture I'm not sure but um, other kitchens I've been to I've seen fightings one other kitchen I've been into similar situation fighting and stuff like that but other kitchens now is more screaming yelling throwing things throwing tantrums not tantrums I guess I think it's more passion some some chefs throw tantrums I'm not gonna lie some of them do but most chefs I think it's more passion so they get upset I get upset too but I think it's a new newer way of thinking because I always thought I would never want to treat anybody the way my dad treated people. I would never want to treat anybody the way I see other chefs treat people. Like I'm not saying they're bad people. They're just very passionate but you can't with the communication, if you're screaming at somebody, people shut down. Not everybody's going to take that, especially with the younger like generation that's coming into the scene. They're not. They're going to be like a little bit more like thrown off by it unless they're expecting to go in a really hardcore like French kitchen or something like that. But again, I mean, is there any push to change that, or is it just totally accepted and that's the way people want it no, to be? No, um, I'm actually, chefs like me and like are trying to change it. I'm not doing that. Like I, before I was a little monster too. I was like getting mad, screaming, punching things, kicking trash cans, punching oven doors. Like I'm a crazy person. But I think it was a lot of passion, a lot of stress, a lot of things on your shoulders, and you never want to take it on people. But sometimes people especially working in a union environment on the strip it's kind of like oh my god not my job i'm like this is not my job to take care of your mortgage i'm like things like that it's like it's kind of hard because you do i'd sacrifice myself i didn't need to be in that in a certain restaurant i didn't need to be there but because i i like connected with my um my cooks and my colleagues and my chef and everything i was like you know what i'm not gonna let this restaurant we had to make sure we had to turn it around so we were like working our butts off like working working really hard and sometimes i just you know i i realized when i was screaming in the beginning that's not me i didn't want to be that person i didn't want to be like just like my dad didn't want to be like I, i told myself don't be like that so one day i just sat down and was like don't do that it's not worth it um, but it seems like that's modeled for you, right? Like, if everybody's doing it, then it's not abnormal, you know? It's not so. abnormal, but you just, you, I, if I, I'm thinking, like, for myself, I don't want to be treated that way, so why would I want to treat somebody else that way? And it makes me feel bad when I yell at somebody. So I'm not too soft, but I just realized, like, you know, it's, there's a time and a place when you want to yell at somebody. There's a time and place you want to be firm with somebody, and you got to make sure that they're doing something right, but there's never a time where you raise your hand at anybody or throw something at anybody that's not right so my thing is like I never got hit in the kitchen like obviously like I'm pretty fast I'm like no dude <laughs> that's the only reason I play dodgeball <laughs> dodgeball kids do it <laughs> it helps I was really good at dodgeball <laughs> One thing you mentioned, I think, or started to mention, was that it might be generational, and that's something that I've noticed in the kitchens I've been in, is that younger cooks, and to your point about this new generation coming, I've spoken to a lot of chefs, and a lot of lawyers, actually, who say, man, the next generation doesn't want to work anymore. Nobody wants to put in an honest day. Um, but in some ways, I think that's good, because it's changing for people, so there isn't the expectation of a 10 or 12 or 16 hour day anymore, which can be good, but... 
do you find, maybe I can get your comments on that among the younger generation and also can you tell us what it's like trying to hire cooks in Vegas because I can say in Vancouver there's a complete shortage so even if you want to yell at your cooks you can't because there's very few people to hire yeah because it's not worth it anymore like for people to be in the kitchen grinding you're still working hard um, my sous chefs do still work like 10-12 hours but it's like my thing is I'm trying to reduce it and try to do that work-life balance that I always wanted I used to work 18 hours straight so my thing is like uh, yeah, I used to like, honestly, I used to come in, I didn't see the sun when I walked in, and I didn't see the sun when I left. So my thing is like, I'm not trying, but that was for myself, to push myself and get myself where I want it, and that's the drive I have for myself, is nobody's pushing me to do that, it's my expectation, and my my craziness that I'm like trying to like, hey, slow it down, don't do that, but I had a goal to reach, and for my thing is like, I'm trying to teach my sous chef, don't be like me, don't like, you know, we do have like an ongoing bat war, if I do scream for no reason, then I'll, I'll give him a knife, and he's going to have a new knife set, so he's halfway there <laughs> but it's like nice, I'm like, no, my babies, um, but no, I like, I don't, like, uh, you can ask them, I honestly don't scream them as much. They know when I get mad, so I get that crazy mom look mm-hmm. when you get quiet mm-hmm. and you look. stare at them, like... Yeah. And then you just tell them yeah. they're disappointed, you're disappointed oh, later, no. right? And that hurts much more than being yelled at. I just go like this. I don't say I'm disappointed, I just stare at them, and then I just don't stop staring, and they're like, oh, God. Mom's mad. <laughs> She's still staring, and I was like, I need to walk away for a minute, because I need to cool down. And then I just walk away, and then I come back, and they're like, they put their head down. It, like, I don't want to scream, but my, like, one of my sous chefs is still scared of me. I'm like, you don't have to be scared of me. Like, it's not that crazy, but just do your job right. Like, because I get mad if you're like, you can't, like, obviously, I'm like, you're a sous chef, you can't cook fish? <laughs> get all crazy. Cook <laughs> fish. Oh, my God. But, no, but I just have standards, and I know I have crazy standards. I need to make sure. I think that's what old school chefs, they, they have so much expectations on themselves. They I think it's a harshness on yourself. I think that's where the anger, the anger comes from. The like you're caring so much, and you, why are you guys not caring? Because I'm not just doing this for myself. Like why don't you guys put in that same passion? So when you don't get that same thing, like I now I tell myself I'm a reminder. Like everybody's different. Everybody has their way. You need to talk. I don't do a group talk. Like I don't talk to my uh, team all at once. I everybody's a different individual, and I always find it more like I can talk to them. A lot better. They're more honest if I talk to them individually. So I do pull people aside, talk to them individually if there's if they're doing good or not doing good. But that's how I run my kitchen. I, I think other generations, I, other people like me and my my group, I they they're doing the same thing. They're like, it's not worth getting angry. So I'm teaching my sous chefs the same thing. Like and my cooks, like it's not worth it. I don't want a heart attack. <laughs> but I think it's the passion that makes you crazy. I'm not gonna lie. I think it's my passion that makes me crazy because you do like and then coffee. I'm like no more coffee for me. <laughs> do you notice, um, I'm just thinking of yelling, and I've spoken to some chefs about, I know you've done some fine dining work, Yeah. and some chefs I've heard from, they've made a switch from fine dining to more casual concepts, and one of the things they love is that the customers are different. So in fine dining, the customers, uh, let's use a polite word, word, can be jerks, right? They're entitled, yeah. and it doesn't, doesn't matter because whatever they're doing, they've got the big fat checkbook at the end of it so if they want to be rude to the servers or whatever so do you find a difference being off strip to being on strip or maybe um has that shifted over time have you had well, jerk I, customers and is it getting any better <laughs> i think i get jerk customers no matter what i don't think it's just uh, in the fine dining industry i think it's just people some people are not happy and you just got to understand like some people come in 
if they're going to have a bad day, some people like taking out on other people in the service industry. So you're like, all right, cool, right? You just got to deal with it. And it's, but I do notice the difference in I'm having more repeat customers, more customer, local customers, people that we say, hey, how are you? And like, how's life? And like, it's more of the, like a, I don't know, a more comfortable feeling with your guests when they come in. It's more, it's different. On the strip, it's more like turn it, turn your guests, turn your guests. You'll get your occasional like guest that comes every year or whatever, and then you know them and stuff like that. Besides that, we get like the the flip around a lot like uh tours comes convention come then you get your convention people that come every year if you stay in the restaurant long enough then you'll start noticing these people every year but it's not as um i have a like a, a like a, a lot of gas few guests like that i see a lot like so i can like two couple that come to the bar and they come on strip i gave them a free ticket both mm-hmm. of them i said you know you support us so much just come to up strip and have fun let your hair down and and they were like really and i was like yeah because you guys come and you guys support us and you guys are always backing us up and i don't mind that's what i like it's like and the, the restaurant's smaller i like smaller yeah, restaurants mm-hmm. the restaurants on the strip are too big like yeah. they're too big um it's massive yeah. Even just the, like the supply, the physical supply chain. I've talked to chefs on the on the strip, and it, and I've seen yeah. some of those labyrinths in the basement areas, and there's floors and elevators, and it's it's wild. So it must be really like your presumably your suppliers just drive up the back door here. They just drive up and they just give us our product. We have a small kitchen. I don't even have a walk-in, so everything that goes in is in the two door, and then we get our suppliers coming in every day. So a lot of our stuff is like. Continuously, we're prepping containers over because our kitchen's so small. But on the strip, it's like you have so many, like a lot of a lot of equipment, <laughs> and then you have more labor. But it's harder to do corporate stuff. Like I'm not gonna lie, it changed when I was going there. We kept on fighting and fighting for what we wanted, what products we wanted to give our guests. Corporate wanted to get the better bid. I'm not trying to get like you know they're they're trying to save money and they're trying to do what they need to do. But at the end of the day, restaurants are trying to. Still, my, my mentor taught me, you want quality, but you always want to try find the, the best price. Like, quality and best price, not quantity and, like, being cheap. So, I'm always thinking that way. Like, I'm always trying to find the best price, but the quality needs to be there. We're not going to sacrifice quality ever. So, I think corporate-wise, wanted, it was getting hard because we were pushing back so hard that we didn't want certain things. We wanted certain we wanted certain types of meats we wanted a certain type of fish from a certain type of vendor and where they're getting it at and there's a reason why and we're getting the better deal but then if there's a corporate bid they want us to get like the general like you know what everybody else is getting and then yeah it's just it's the only way you can be different is taking that product and just changing it your way but I we thought I'm glad I left corporate by that time because I was fighting tooth and nail not to go with the corporate bids and then I was like no I'm getting tired of this corporateness and then Finally, I opened my own restaurant. <laughs> I always tell this story too. It's like when I left San Francisco State, I told my professor, "I'm leaving to San Francisco. Not, I'm leaving San Francisco. Go to Vegas. I'm gonna open my own restaurant and hire people that people doubt, just like me." And then she was all like, "That's hard in Vegas. You think you're gonna do this?" And then it was back in 2009 or something like that, 2008. And I said, like, "Yes, I'm gonna do that." And then she was like, "Are you sure?" And then I was like, "Give me 10 years, and I'll email you." And then she was like, you have my email, email me. And then seven years later, I was like, wow. I did it three years before. Has she been here? She hasn't. And I'm waiting for me to be a little bit more. I don't feel like I'm that successful. And I haven't like got anybody to like, you know, open their own restaurant. Because I want one of them like, if my, my sous chef told me he's going to open a restaurant, I'm be like, bam, I did my job.
drop the mic, I'm dead. <laughs> but no, I, I'm waiting for, I just want to be a little bit more successful because I feel like I, I still have a lot to do. A lot. <laughs> well, well, tell us a little bit more about what you have done so far here and, and now I really do want to get into the menu. So please tell us what you're cooking and, and how and what fires you up. Um, so far the first menu was, uh, my, my food is basically like me on a plate now. I, I, I don't want to do, like when I was working for other people, you had to do a certain way, their vision, what they want, what's classically French, what's not, what's this and what's that, keep with that genre type deal. And then I was like, no, I was like, I'm tired, I miss home, I miss my, like, the way I cook and I miss certain things about myself and I realized nobody's gonna... And, Again, I have that weirdness. I always say, nobody told me what to do, so mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> my food right now is like hard to explain, but it's, I, I always tell guests, it's actually just me on a plate. I don't know how to describe it. It's, I think uh, chefs nowadays are moving towards that direction. I'm not sure. It seems like it too, but for myself, it's just more of self-expression and being like creatively suppressed. I'm not, when I was working for other people, I didn't like that. So now I'm like, you know, and it made me not want to be in the cooking. I was at a point in time I did want to quit like the industry because I was being creatively suppressed and then didn't feel good, did not feel good at all. Um, went to work, did everything they wanted me to do, get the numbers in line, wherever they wanted me to do, and get the restaurant just like, you know, like doing like 300 covers, 400 covers. I'm like, okay, 500, whatever, it's fine. I'm, I can do it, but the creativity part wasn't there. So I was like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. And then I told that to my chef one day, and he told me, what do you mean you don't know what you're doing? You're here every day doing everything. I said, no, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm doing this, but I'm just, I'm like basically mindless. I need to create something. And then I was like, if I can't create something, I'm this, it's, it's not, it's pointless. And then finally, like, um, yeah, no, they're like trying to slowly give me that creativity. But then I was like, it's not fast enough. And then I was like, you know, and then... I don't know, I just stuck with it for a bit, and I, I took a break, went to banquets, and they, they said, you know what, show me what you've got, kid, and then I just showed him, and then he was like, okay, we want to have restaurant chefs change this banquets thing, we don't want them to think it's garbage food anymore, and I was like, alright, and then they let me, like, buy fargo, truffles, and I was doing everything, I was doing everything from scratch, the, the cooks hated me, they hated me so much, <laughs> I was like, we're making gremolata, they're like, okay, so we get these pre bought nope, nope, I get cases of uh, lemons, and I was like, you're going to cut it by hand, take off the pith, you're going to julienne it, and cut it by hand. They're like, mm, are you serious, chef? And I was like, yep. And then I said, you're going to make everything from scratch. I said, we're going to do country pâtés, get the shoulders in, get the jowl in, get all that stuff in, we're going to do it from scratch. Like, uh, we're going to, uh, everything from scratch. And then they're like, oh my gosh, she's a nightmare. <laughs> where, where were you doing that? I was doing that for the banquets at Venetian Palazzo. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I tried to take a break from restaurants because I was like, oh, I'm burnt out. I got to get a clear head. Let me see, try this little, maybe this will be, like, something new. But, honestly, like, um, my my head got a little, like, you know, wandering again. And then I was like, I do miss restaurants. Mm -hmm. Been away from it for six months. And then my chef's like, hey, come come with me. Uh, come back. And then I was like, all right. So I went with, da he was at Daniel Blute at the time. So he left Oreo, went to Daniel Blute, and I was like, I'll come join you. And then, so I went and joined him and I was like, okay, I missed the, this kind of, this action. And then, so I was like, maybe I, restaurant is my thing. I need, just need to own my own spot. Here from there is like, um, the food is just, myself is just like, now the food coming and doing my own thing is just me letting all that creative suppression out. Like me, my childhood, my mom, my memories of my experience and just taking everything that I went through in my journey of this culinary 
and my childhood is just on a plate now. How would you describe it? Like the, you know. I think it's comforting. That's all it is yeah. to me. It's like comforting when you eat it. Like I honestly, what I want out of it is like our servers to understand what I'm trying to do is like because I had memories eating certain dishes. Mm -hmm. I want the guests to eat it and create their own memories or understand a little bit of what my mind is going through. I had a guest the other day. She was like, I don't know what like they, I have a few guests that says that all the time. When they ask me a question, they're always asking me, "What's going on through your head?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" you think I'm crazy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not talking to myself right now. <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, no, they're like, when you make a dish, why, like, they, we don't get why you get all these combinations. Mm -hmm. How do you make these combinations? I was like, um, lack of sleep, and I'm always thinking. <laughs> but I get that, and then, like, I said, basically, I said, it's just me on a plate. I had a, actually, I guess yesterday, she came in with her husband and her daughter, I think a few days ago, and then today, yesterday, came in with her, two of her girlfriends, and then, so they, she came, she's like, couldn't describe the dishes to them, and that's, I brought them in, and she said, just try it, and then they were like, now we understand, and I said, it's just me on a plate, so just, I told her, take a picture of my face and walk around, this is her on a plate, so come to her restaurant. But like, when you say you on a plate, I mean, the, the cuisine here is definitely, like, Vietnamese influence, yes. sort of American, also you're, I'm sure you're throwing in your background of French cooking, yes. of Mandarin cooking, right? I so am. How, I mean, how did you decide on that? How, how did you decide to make this, essentially, an upscale Vietnamese restaurant? My thing was, like, uh, I decided just to, not even upscale, I just, all the ingredients, like, my, the cookings, the flavor profiles, I started learning from my mom and my dad so I understood like the spicy like the Southeast Asian thing the spicy the sweet the sour um, the saltiness and everything like the the same fermentation I love her fermentation um, eating kimchi and all that stuff I thought kimchi was Vietnamese when I was growing up I thought it was like oh it's part of Vietnamese but when I got older and I was like oh <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's just my mom making it and then um, I do use like a lot of that so I the way I think is I take a lot of my background that I had when I was growing up eating. Then I take the French techniques, and I, I know what my mom made, but I was like, you can do it better with these ingredients. Like, all these other ingredients I was able to taste because I was cooking on the, like, you know, in kitchens. What my mom and dad didn't have available to them, like, for myself, I started getting a, 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 a wider variety of ingredients that my parents didn't know now I know and like I said you know what there's similarities in this and there's this will go better with this if they thought about this and then that's when everything started pulling with the French technique and a lot of people like we sell them like Vietnamese food is like because we were colonized by the French a lot of our, the French influence is in our food already so when I worked in French kitchen I was like okay I called this something else but I do eat head cheese I ate pate growing up so this stuff wasn't new to me this stuff was like okay and then when my mom braised it I didn't know it was called braising for myself I was like mom's cooking but then when I went into the kitchen okay you're doing what my mom does like and then I learned in school it's braising that's what my mom did like she did the old country style braising and all this other stuff like and then my dad was this obviously the mandarin and the, uh he lived in saigon so he did a lot of street food and stuff like that so i had that influence and my mom living in korea she started throwing that in and then so that's how i start i don't know I, there's always a pattern or formula i always think in my head that everything if you understand the basics of anything then you can start pulling and just creating your own imagination and just pulling things it just you get to understand the like the basic like combination of flavors and textures i love textures i love smell I love that's how I found little cooking that's why I want texture smell um, like my first dish I did was a clay pot with like a wood smoke like I smoked it with cherry wood and I did that is because my mom smoked wood she not smoked wood she cooked we, we cooked with twigs and she cooked and that smoke that smell like that's what 
I'm like, okay. So when I do that to guests, it's like that's introduction to my little childhood. So a lot of my plates are that way, but then I'm moving towards like, moving towards other ingredients and stuff. I just, my stuff, like it's, I know I'm combining other new things, but it's always basic down to it. It's basic yeah, Vietnamese and French little combo. One thing I wanted to ask you was just like, where you see your identity in your own cooking, and that seems pretty clear, right? It's what you grew up with, it's your yeah. professional training, it's all of that. I was wondering, a couple years ago, there was, I think it was like a Bon Appetit video, but there was a guy, I don't know where he was, but a white guy that owned a pho shop, and mm -hmm. there was like a ton of outrage about it. People were really upset. They felt like he shouldn't be cooking Vietnamese food because he wasn't Vietnamese. I'm wondering where you stand on issues like that. I, my thing is like, obviously I'm not against it because I feel like you shouldn't be against somebody wanting to do what they want to do and their passion and what they want. If he loves making Vietnamese food and he fell in love with Vietnamese food, he fell in love with it. You should be, I think you should appreciate and respect it that somebody fell in love with a culture. My thing is don't like, I hate when people want to box people in a certain thing. That's where my food is. Like, don't box me into a certain category because I'm not, um, I hang out with my guys all day. They're from Puebla. I have influence from that too. And I do want to open a Puebla like restaurant, not just a, like a Mexica, Mexican restaurant, a Puebla restaurant. I want to do Indian food. I love Indian food. I want to do like Korean food. I, my thing is don't stick somebody in a, a, a box because my thing is that's what makes people, it makes people that are creative or not creative, people who want to be like you just put them like making them feel uncomfortable in their own skin like if he wants to do that he fell in love with it somebody should respect that everybody should respect not everybody loves things some people just eat chicken nuggets and fries like and you guys are happy with that that's not cool <laughs> come to black sheep come black let me change your mind right <laughs> but like it's always about an experience and if he fell in love with it I'm, I'm all for it I don't get why people will get mad about it do you think there's like a right way to do it, a wrong way to do it, or does it just not matter? Open your restaurant and don't explain yourself to anybody. You know, because I think that like some of the anger there is because people feel like those cooks or chefs or whatever are taking credit for, you know, a cuisine that um, they didn't really create. You know, like maybe they're popularizing it, but it already existed and it didn't get as much attention when the people of that culture were cooking it. But now, you know, a white guy comes in and is making it and it's like, oh, you invented you invented ceviche, you know, whatever it is. I don't think he did. I think he probably approached it differently business-wise. If you think in the business sense, he probably approached it differently. He marketed it differently. I know there's, like, other cultures that have been doing it. Like, I'm, like there's a bunch of uh, Vietnamese pho places, stuff like that. But they probably did it in a different way. Like, you know, if my family opened a pho restaurant, I know how it's going to go. They're not going to, like, they're, they're not going to PR. They're not going to market it. They're going to just cook it as a family thing, a family unit. And if it blows up, it blows up. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I think he probably took it to a different level. And then he learned it, loved it, marketed it in a different way. And then that's why it, it got more press than other restaurants and I just think it's your different mentality some people are business more orientated and I think when you open a restaurant you should be business and like food orientated it's hard to have both and we're all trying to learn that um but I'm not mad at it for sure I just don't think people should stick people in a certain thing and I don't think he's taking credit for the whole culture of it like Vietnam making pho I don't think he created pho but he loved it so much that he's cooking it and I think you should respect that because he's taking his time out and like cooking is hard I'm not saying it uh, other professions are not hard, but being in the kitchen and just laboring and just working your butt from coming in now to like closing and then cooks don't get that much respect. Like unless you become a chef and you're, but I think everybody should be respected back there. You don't make that much and you just grind really hard until you become successful and not everybody becomes successful. So my thing is 
I'm for it. I'm for anybody cooking whatever they want, if they want to cook. If I like, I don't want anybody to tap cast me and say she just couldn't cook her Vietnamese, whatever, her French or American like food. I'm like, no, I can cook whatever I want to cook. Like, that's how I, I come about. And there should be a structure. Honestly, you, you don't just make stuff and just throw it and just give it. It's like, this is me on a plate, and you just, you know, throw random stuff together. There has, there has to be a thought behind it with the food there has to be like I said like the whole base of it you have to understand like the flavor combination what are you going what what are you trying to do and like um I still think about that I think about even though I said it's me on the plate but it's also still I have to think about how the guys can prep it how the guys are going to execute it at night how how I'm going to keep the integrity of me but not make it so difficult that the guys can't do it and like and then how the guests perceive it and then am I challenging them a little too much who am I targeting here and like it just that's all I think about. Like, you have to think about a lot of stuff. That's why I'm, like, a little crazy. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> One question, Chef, that I've asked some other chefs, I've been curious for, for your thoughts, is for the home cook. So thinking of the home cook and sharing your background knowledge training, is there some dish that you could describe? Because I think a lot of home cooks could really pick up their cooking game quite easily if they just thought about things a little differently. Is there a dish or a technique or anything that you could recommend to home cooks? And I've asked... A friend who cooks an Italian restaurant said, you know, dry pasta, two super fresh ingredients, Parmesan cheese and olive oil. Boom. That's it. And I've had some other chefs talk about salads. Is there any, like, super quick recipe or technique that you would recommend to, to home cooks? Technique-wise, um, honestly, keep it simple. Don't, like, throw a lot of stuff in. I noticed that when people really want to, like, cook, they start throwing a lot of things and they don't think why. My thing is, keep it, like, things taste really good if you just add salt, pepper, a little garlic and thyme to anything it just works out and then if it's fish add lemon juice add fresh lemon juice and then add it to any like grain or pasta or whatever you want and vegetable same thing salt pepper garlic oil thyme and then you just add, it, it, it's just so simple but people don't realize they always ask me what do you put in there salt pepper <laughs> it's not that difficult like it just just make sure you season that's my thing like kosher salt kosher salt with bigger grains like you can feel it how much you're putting on don't use the, like the small little granule little salt because you can overdo it and it becomes salty my thing again just cook with salt pepper <laughs> garlic thyme and you'll save yourself that's all i do you can ask them like i make steak salt pepper <laughs> i love it i used to put butter in everything and i was like you know how you need to stop that <laughs> let's not paladine this <laughs> it's like the french cooking is like a lot of butter and i'm like i love it but gotta quit that so a lot of things i do now is like olive oil blended olive oil not not pure olive oil people don't do that <laughs> it smokes it tastes better it's not it's not it's not great cooking uh, blend it. But cooking-wise, just, again, salt, pepper, garlic. <laughs> I love it. I know what I'm going to try out at home next. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I can cook now. Just, I'm just telling you, like, uh, honestly, with a steak, salt, pepper, garlic, I mean, just you do that, and then, like, I would do garlic oil, like, with steaks yeah. and proteins. Like, yeah. um, you do with fish, you can crack a little whole garlic clove and just throw it in. Don't throw it, like, sear it first, nice, on, if you have skin. I'm telling you, poach, uh, poach, uh, not poach, uh, uh, the the fish first. If you have skin, sear it, and then both sides, salt and pepper. Then when you know you're almost halfway there, add the garlic into your oil, and then start basting with your spoon. Take the spoon, start basting it, and then add your gar like the garlic, then the thyme. The aromatics you don't want to add in the beginning because they're going to burn. So you want to throw that thyme in, and then just let that thyme hit it a little bit, and then lemon juice. Just squeeze a little lemon juice, and you're done. And there's a little trick to it. If you buy a baking stick, 
poke it into the thickest part of your fish, put it against, this is sensitive here, on your, underneath your lip or your wrist, and if it's warm, you got midwear. If it's a little bit warmer, like where you, like that, it's like kind of medium, and then when it gets hot, that means you've well done your, your fish, and you don't want that. So you want that nice, warm filling, and like, all right, cool. I also like that you get burned as a little reminder never to do that again. Yeah, it does. It like really reinforces that. But don't so overcook your fish. Do it next here time. first because you don't want to see. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to start off with marks here. Yeah. What happened? Like, yeah, what happened? So I'm like, I don't uh, know how to cook fish. <laughs> but that's a little key trick that people don't know. Stick that baking stick in there. With steaks, I wouldn't recommend that. Just sear your steak, fill it with the touch. If you want to, then you can. But I wouldn't recommend poking your steak. But some cooks do it, and it actually comes out perfect every time too. A little poke touch it and then mid-rare same thing same concept and then the steak you sear like either sear it or put it on the grill but then I always do garlic oil mm. at the end on the grill and then sear that best steak ever if you want to get crazy put some togarashi on it <laughs> alright you're going to report back yes. <laughs> the vegetables don't say anything hot pan saute <laughs> Well, listen, that's that's all of the questions I've got. Chef, thank you so much for taking the time to meet okay. with us. Okay. Perfect, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. No, Thanks thank for you. sharing your story. That was really no, great. thank you. I can talk forever. <laughs> oh, when it comes to back. this. Well, well, now it's time to drink. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That was a really fun interview. Christy, thank you so much for setting that up. And Chef Jamie, thank you for taking the time to meet with us, to answer all of our questions, and for being such a gracious host and so freely giving of your bourbon. That was a really fun morning. Oh, when Chef talks about the baking stick and testing temperature, that's um, a reference to a piece of equipment that's a really, really thin metal skewer, usually has a plastic handle on it. Very inexpensive piece of equipment to have, but very useful. And as Chef says, you can put it into a piece of fish or a piece of meat. And then when she said, when Chef Jamie said, this is sensitive here, she was pointing to the spot below her lower lip. And so if you hold the metal skewer against that spot, it's very sensitive. You will know very quickly just how warm that metal baking stick is. Hopefully warm, but not too, too hot. All right. I'm already looking forward, of course, to my next trip to Las Vegas. Hasn't been set yet, but hopefully that'll be booked soon. We'll see. Later this year, I am booked to go back to New York City. So any recommendations there on the food side or otherwise, for that matter, please let me know. And if there are any chefs in New York that you'd particularly like to hear from, I'd love to hear those suggestions as well. Please take a minute to rate the show to give it a star rating. You can do that on iTunes or the other podcast apps. And if you have a few more minutes, please consider writing a review for Chef Demoni. I'd really appreciate you doing either or both. Ratings and reviews really do help other people to find the show. As always, if you've got a, a suggestion for a chef generally or a lawyer that you would like to hear from that you think would make a great guest for the show, please let me know. You can reach me on Instagram or Facebook or just send me a message to graham at chefdemoni.com. All right, that's it for today's episode. I'm Graham McLennan. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to seeing you next time right here on Chef Demoni.